Hi there, this is Liz, and you're listening to Sustaining Education, a book talk with some real talk. Let's dig in. Good morning, friends. It might not be morning for you, but it is morning for me, so I love the morning. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, Today we are discussing Chapter 1, Extraction, in the story of stuff. To learn a little bit more about this novel, go ahead and check out my first post, my first podcast ever, titled Introduction. So that is just going to give you a little bit of background, not only on the novel, but also on the author um, and what my purpose of this podcast is. So um, today, as I go through this, it is quite a long chapter. There are only five chapters in about uh 280 pages. Um, So each of these chapters is going to be a little bit lengthier. But I think I want to provide that just so that people have, you know, those main points, um, those bigger things that the author wanted to pull out, um, followed by some literary literary components that we see here, um, how she is arguing, all of that great stuff, as well as some post-reading assignments and your questions answered. So let's get started. Chapter one, extraction, starts with trees and paper. Um, So a lot of this is going to be fun facts, so let's just dig right in. Um, Dig, extraction, I love to make puns, so there's your first one of the day. Um, So making paper, it takes about 98 tons of other resources to produce only one ton of paper. So think about how much paper we use on a daily basis and how much resources we are spending, how many resources we're spending on just that paper alone. So um, these resources might include, you know, clear cutting of the trees, um, the logger machines, all of those other um, different parts of the moving cogs on the wheel um, that just make that paper go. So why should we save trees? These are some of the arguments that she comes up with and um, of course uses her factoids to set up. So we have they help air quality of course. Um, She brings up the point of why do scientists continue to look at man-made ways to reduce carbon in the air Uh, when we have a natural way to do so already. So again, um, just kind of looking at some of those questions that we should be asking ourselves. Medicine also grows in forests, as well as two-thirds of species on Earth are housed in forests, including 300 million people. Um, These are both indigenous as well as just people in general, you guys. So we need to save not only ourselves, but also those other species that are being housed in the forests. They provide the five Fs, Normally, this is the four Fs, but she provided the extra one. Um, So they are food, fodder, fiber, fuel, and fun. So she talks about her experience in the forest in Seattle, Washington area. Not Seattle, but, you know, that's about the only part of Washington I know. And so she talks about her time spent up there in the hills and mountains and forests and all of that super fun stuff and just how much she fell in love with the forest and how it was able to provide that fifth F for her that year. Um, More so, the European Union released a study in 2008 that stated loss of forests costs about two to five trillion dollars each year. So not only are we spending money to make all of this, we are losing money by losing the forests, okay, you guys? It's not okay, you know, it's just not okay. So what does clear-cutting trees do to the land? So clear-cutting, she says, reminds her of a shaved head. It just, like, removes everything. So if you've ever, you know, seen someone that just shaved their head, um, I know a lot of people will do this for dance marathons. So if you've ever seen that happen, um, 
Think about that when you're thinking of clear cutting trees. So not only does it remove all of the minerals and good stuffs, it also can lead to mudslides, floods, erosion, it clogs waterways, it clears communities, it destroys properties, and it makes rivers nearby run cloudy, fill with debris, and as she discusses in the water section, we'll talk about that later. So why do we do it? If it's so terrible, why are we even doing it? Well, a lot of times the clear-cut land turns into cattle ranches and farms, development, use for lumber, and, of course, paper. Uh, the United States alone uses 80 million tons of paper each year. And that also accounts for 40% of our waste, friends. Let's recycle. Let's compost. Let's fix this. This is not what we are wanting to see. All right, let's move on to the water section of her first chapter. Organic matter like bugs and leaves don't become problematic in waterways unless it cannot be decomposed faster than it builds up. She says this on page 11 when she's kind of talking about that debris aspect that I said um, happens during clear cutting. So while, yes, we can have that organic matter in the water, we can't have clear cutting which causes a buildup of that faster than it can decompose and that's when it becomes problem, okay? It's important to think of water as connected. So it comes from somewhere to use. We are made of about 55 to 60%, 75 as um, babies, and we send it somewhere too. It isn't man-made and it doesn't leave earth. The waterway sewage systems has made us associate water with waste, which it is not. Composting toilets are best because not only are they lesser water or maybe even zero water, um, it's good for the soil and it's good for all of that other um, kind of electrical, energy-saving, great stuff that we have, okay? So more than 100,000 kids die from diarrhea directly linked to dirty water com consumption. All right, I normally don't talk about poop on my podcast, but this one's important, you guys, okay? 100,000 kids are dying just because they drink bad water. That's not good. And other places where they can't get water, they must boil all the time to drink and get one bucket of water to wash every other day. I know sometimes during the summer, I'll shower even twice a day. This is really making me think about my own personal habits as well as how I can limit my water consumption. About one third of the world's population lives in water stress, which he discusses on page 16. And by 2025, scientists estimate three-fourths will be in water stress. So water stress is just... Um, that actively thinking, you know, we are on limited water, um, we need to start limiting how much we use, how much we consume, okay? And water is also being a private, is becoming a privatized entity, similar to oil, making it more expensive and difficult to secure for low-income areas. So I know we talk about the oil industry a lot and how competitive it is. Well, now they're trying to do that with water as well. So friends, we need to be working to save that water for all of our um, communities, all of our friends out there who need that water, okay? And what about here in the U.S.? What can we do better for our water? Well, to start, lawn care consumes $20 billion a year, okay? 800 million gallons of gas, 200 gallons of water per person per day. A per person per day, okay? That's you, that's me, that's your mom. That's your grandma. That's uh, my uncle who lives down the street. That's everybody who is using water for their lawn uses about 200 gallons per day. That's crazy. 
And what about our things, okay? Paper plants use about three to 400 tons of water to make one ton of paper. So back to those, you know, other tons of resources, I didn't include water in that. 300 to 400 tons of water for one ton of paper. That's insane. Why can't we just write on our laptops, okay? Cotton for one shirt, like the cotton that we need to grow to make one shirt uses 256 gallons of water. 36 gallons of water are used to grow, produce, pack, and ship our morning coffee. Now, I love my coffee as much as everybody else. I've got it in my hand right now. But is that really worth it? Even our cars take about twice their weight in water to make. Roughly about 39,000 gallons per car. And we're out here having like two to three cars. Why don't we think about it, though? Well, it is represented not on the price tag. Okay, we don't see this when we're out there purchasing our things. We don't see this. We aren't aware. So that's another purpose of this podcast. Let's become aware. Let's start to do something about this. We should calculate our own water footprint and ensure how, that we're thinking about how much consumption really costs. So she does provide um, that little tool also in her book. So check that out. Um, you've obviously heard of carbon footprint, I'm sure. Well, this is the water footprint and it is similar to that in just explaining how much we are using versus how much we can uh, limit ourselves to. Let's move on to rocks. So, of course, some of our most valuable materials are from underground. Rings, cars, cell phones, PlayStations, etc. More so than just rocks today. I don't want to just spend time, you know, I love rocks. Rocks are fun. But let's talk about the mining process of them. This is extraction, um, as we all know. So, There are different types of mining processes. There's open pit, strips, shaft, above the surface, below the surface, and they are all pretty terrible, okay? So they are both water and energy intensive. Yes, I'm bringing back water. It's important. Globally, two-thirds of the mining is done in an open pit, which is basically just a huge hole in the ground. And to make this pit, they first have to clear the land. Think about that bald head layer upon layer of concrete and dirt and other unusable materials, it just gets piled up and it sits there. Why? Okay. Mining is also very dangerous, causing several workplace hazards, including mudslides, explosions, fires, and more. And how many times have we heard about, you know, oh, this offshore drill is on fire. Bad. Okay. Regardless of the environmental and worker dangers, mining on public lands is free. Free with the General Mining Act of 1872, which she discusses on page 22. Okay, so basically, I don't, yeah, I don't get that, but it's okay. I don't have to get it. I'll do some research and I'll start to understand, maybe. Let's talk about gold and diamonds. So gold is used nearly in all of our electronics, but jewelry uses more than 75% of all the gold in the world. Most of the world's gold comes from South Africa, where the author cites seeing several mining waste hills during her visit nearly 20 years ago. Okay, she was looking out the window and she's like, hey, what are all those hills? And her tour guide said, those aren't hills, those are mining waste piles. That's wild, okay? So mining for an average gold wedding ring creates about 20 tons of hazardous mining waste. And during the gold rush, an estimated 7,600 tons of mercury were deposited into Nevada rivers. That's the same mercury that is so poisonous, it has coined the term for Mad Hatter disease for those influenced by it when cleaning hats, okay? Not good. In fact, very bad. 
and it's in our rivers. So what about conflict materials? So conflict materials, um, that is a term for valuable rocks that fuel violent conflict when the profit for their control, sales, taxation, and protection funds criminal gangs, brutal regimens, and weapons. That is a direct quote from page 25. Um, I have never heard of conflict materials. I think it's really important for us to take a look at them, though, and this is why. They are also used by terrorist groups for money laundering and financing their attacks. Um, and all of this violence, including, um, we'll talk about Colton here in a minute. That's one of the major ones. Um, but all such violence had led to the 2003 Act of the Kimberley Process, which provides a violence-free source for diamonds, including tracking and tracing them. Um, but the country must first ensure that no group is moving to use them inappropriately. Um, and then they also start to, you know, get those diamonds um, with the numbers on them. So when you take your ring in and you're like, hey, I need to get my diamond cleaned or whatever. And they say, oh, yes, well, you can check the number on it. And that's part of the Kimberly process. So Colton, um, it's a tantalum. It's another conflict material used in many gaming devices. So think about PlayStation, remote controls, MP3 players, all of that great stuff. Similar to diamonds, this was a huge conflict material, and it still is. 80% of these um, supplies come from the Democratic Republic of Congo, where violence is still teeming. The rush to get this valuable material has destroyed lands and habitats, especially for gorillas, which have been killed for food. Wham. To put this into perspective just how ludicrous it is, the Rwanda army, which has been on and off Congo land for the past three years, um, has made about $500 million just between April of 07 and October of 08, only on mining Colton. By recycling our cell phones alone, we can save hundreds of thousands of ounces of gold to be reused. Okay? so. Goes back to what we can do. Well, we can recycle our cell phones, all right? Send those back in, recycle your Apple Watch, recycle all of those random little gaming devices that we keep for no reason. What about petroleum? So powering our machines and vehicles uses about 84% of petroleum produced every year. So 84% that is made, it is drilled for, um, we, we use that, okay? Um, just to power machines and cars. In our peak oil point, um, which at the time, which is the time at which we've used more oil than what's left for us, was once estimated to be this year, 2020. While we might not have hit that or we might not have heard that we've hit that, we are very close to it. And Chief Economist of the International Energy Agency, Dr. Faith Burrell, says we must leave oil before it leaves us. I'm going to say that again. We must leave oil before it leaves us. Okay. So then she goes into this really awesome story about the Shell Company, which I'm going to read just a little kind of summary for you. So the Shell Company mined belief the impoverished Nigerian home, specifically in, um, I want to say this correctly, Agoni land, for years of the people, um, for years until the people were able to stand up and fight against them. Um, these people are an ethnic minority group who are hardly protected by the Nigerian constitution because they are indigenous and thus left to fend for themselves against the huge shell corporation. The issues continued for years, leading to the execution of an environmental activist who was trying to help the Agani people. And that led to an international outcry and eventual lawsuit. So long story short, Shell is no longer able to drill there, but it just goes to show how much we need to be fighting this and fighting for our friends, okay? So what about changing extraction? 
It's obvious with these claims and facts that we need to lessen our need for extracted materials and make the extraction process more environmentally sustainable all around. On the front end, she suggests she suggests um, redesigning production systems to use less. Okay, almost all of our um, production equipment, she says, are ineffective at the moment. We probably haven't redesigned them for quite some time. In addition, we need to start making materials more durable, repairable, recyclable, and adaptable for changes. So, you know, how many times do we change chargers at Apple? Okay, less now, but hopefully less in the future, even more so. On the back end, um, the waste side of things, we need to make sure we're properly disposing or not disposing of materials as much. Reduce buying new. Reduce our consumerism, friends and reuse old materials as much as possible, then recycle. And in our hearts and minds, again, this is that reflective side of things. Think about how much we really need these things. Do we need to print one-sided for everything? Do we need to print it all? Do we need several cars or phones or PlayStations? We must turn inwards of ourselves to calculate how much we can consume better, how we can consume better in general, okay? So let's look at the big ideas. This is the section where my educators will be um, spending some of their time. Um, just use it for discussion, all of that great stuff, okay? So first off, I want to talk about what literary components we see here. So in her argumentative um, structure, first person is used a lot. Um, oftentimes this is seen less reliable, but I want everyone to think about what is different in this account. Um, of course, we can see the author's credibility in my introductory episode, but what in her text can point to um, her credibility and shows that we can trust her ultimately. If you think it's citations, that's absolutely right. Leonard uses her ex um, uses expert opinions, including her own. I mean, she's been studying this field for decades now, um, alongside facts and personal experiences to back up all of her thoughts and explanations. She uses phrases like to me, from what I know, and a lot of information pertaining to a personal experience and as we discussed earlier, she traveled to South Africa. She's also been to Bangladesh and several other countries during her decades, decades of research. Decades. This novel is a combination of logos, ethos, and pathos appeals. They're all rolled together for a wonderful argument, in my opinion. Um, and I think a lot of other uh, literature nerds would agree. So as a post-reading assignment for those listening for a course or for a teacher, or if you just want to check it out. My task for you is to make a chart of 10 different arguments that Leonard makes in the first chapter, extraction, and assign it to either logos, ethos, or pathos as the appeals to reader. So, just 10, and then you write, I mean, they could all be 10 logos, they could all be ethos, they could all be pathos. I suggest you don't do that. I would like to see a combination because I think that would give you a better representation of how she pieces this together. I think this will get you more comfortable in thinking as an informed reader and an informed consumer. All right. There were no questions for this week, um, but if you do have any, you can go ahead and email me, lizzie77906 at gmail.com. That's right. And we will see you next week to talk about production. Have a great day, friends.